Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, dear friends, this is a roundtable episode. What does that mean, Bench? Well, it means we are continuing the conversation from last week's episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and listen to that. That will give you context for what we're talking about today. Jamie Freeman and a couple of friends that he's pulled in are going to go through that episode and kind of help to unpack it and flesh it out in different contexts. So this is your chance to go deeper and consider what these ideas might look like where you are. This episode is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. Invest with purpose. Find out more at bfs.org.au. Hello, welcome to the Forming Church Podcast Roundtable Conversations. In last week's episode, Benj and Will sat down with Andrew Sloan to talk about not just one, but the two church planting teams that he has been a part of, and also his passion to see an integrated way of living out your faith and work. In today's roundtable conversation, I have with me two very special people. I have my wife and my best friend, so Ainsley and Steve. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, these guys have joined the podcast, not just because we have young kids and it's the only time that we can actually schedule to catch up. But over 11 years ago, uh, a few of us got together and began this journey of church planting. And so given that we're reflecting on Andrew's experience, I thought that it'd be really helpful to sit down with these guys and have a bit of a conversation about what Andrew had to say and also our experience of planting uh, 11 years ago. So guys, I really am excited to have you in this space. I'd love just if you could paint for us a bit of a picture of what um, your week looks like, what life and ministry looks like for you in your current context. So, Ains, I might throw to you first. Sure. Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to be married to Jamie Freeman um, and we, yeah, planted a church a number of years ago. My week at the moment, we've got young kids, so there's a lot of um, driving them around, dropping them at places, um, looking after them, feeding them. Um, I also work for a ministry organisation called Olive Tree Media and I work mainly in marketing and comms but um, do various speaking things as well. Um, and yeah, we are um, loving doing life and ministry together as a couple um, and kind of a, we met like that. So we met in a church context and have been doing life and ministry together ever since. Thank you, Steve. How about you? Uh, yeah, so I am a father of two, the second of which only arrived four and a half weeks ago, almost five weeks ago, actually. Um, so we are in new baby land. Are you sleeping much? Uh, when we can, yes. I have had two daytime naps this week at lunchtime. <laughs> um, and yeah, in terms of work, I work for a major financial institution. I work sort of in program and project management. 
Um, in terms of ministry context, I uh, am involved in the church plant uh, that Jamie referred to a little while ago. I'm still there. Uh, our context at the moment is interesting. We are kind of in between pastors at the moment. So going through through that journey, um, have been part of that community for, as Jamie said, 11 years. And, and prior to that was kind of at a more established local church. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. So as you had a chance to hear the conversation between Andrew, Benj and Will, I wondered uh, if you could share with us a bit about what stood out to you. Yeah, I think um, probably the the line that he said that really stood out to me, that there are no passengers in a church plant, that if you've got a seat, then you've got an oar. And I think um, having come from more established, large church contexts and landing ourselves in a church plant, that became very obvious very quickly um, that basically whether it was the core team or even just being part of what then became a small church, um, you it was really obvious that you couldn't just turn up and sit there and watch a service, that we were all um, involved in this thing, whether it meant setting up chairs, whether it meant being on the leadership council, whether it meant counting the offering at the end of the gathering or making coffees, um, everyone was involved. But the, I guess the, the positive side of that, the thing that I loved about that was that it then became embedded in the culture. And very quickly, um, people would come to church, they might be visiting, they might come two, three weeks, and all of a sudden they're asking questions, what can I bring? How can I serve? Can I be involved in coffee? There was this real um, dissatisfaction with being served by everybody else because it was very obvious that everyone was doing something. It didn't matter how small or insignificant it was. It was just very obvious that everyone was all hands on deck. And so very quickly I found in this church planting culture you could you could create this sense that everybody brought something kind of like at a at an extended family gathering. You'd, you'd ask before you'd come to the dinner, oh, what can I bring? And I think that's what is one of the greatest gifts of being part of a church plant is that people start to ask, well, what can I bring? What can I do? I was talking to a pastor just the other day and they're going through a transition and and he mentioned that there was someone in their church community that works for a consulting firm and they're gifted and skilled in the area of transitions. And so they're heading up this transition team. And it's fantastic to see how people can contribute in all sorts of different ways. It's not just through the preaching or through the music, but together as the body we can function uh, and build one another up to maturity in Christ. What else stood out to you guys? Uh, just to reiterate what Ian said there, that I think one of the things that stood out to me was um, Andrew mentioned that it's really important when you're part of a planting team to really understand your role, um, but to also be very open and flexible to change. Um, and I think that rings true for our experience, um, you know, particularly in the sort of pre-plant phase as we're sort of trying to understand who we're going to be as a community and what that vision is going to look like. You know, there, there's no set vision at that point in time. So it's a lot of exploring and it's a lot of um, adapting and trying to figure out sort of who we are as a community and where we're going to go. Um, and I think also to Ains's point around what Andrew said around, you know, if you're in the boat, you've got an oar. It kind of struck me when Ains was talking then that it's probably good advice for people who are looking to get involved in a plant that like if you're in a, a phase of life where life is really hectic, I think your ability to contribute as much as you probably will be required to could be a little bit more difficult. 
And so it's probably just something to note that if you're keen to get involved in planting, really take the time to consider what your life is like outside of everything else because it is it is a big effort. You know, there will be a need for you to contribute all of the giftings that you've got in order to help things be successful. And it could be even that it's about aligning expectations. So, yeah. you know, there's there's the need for extra people in terms of uh, momentum. And uh, we even had in our uh, constitution the space for partners and supporters in ministry, recognising that there is going to be some who uh, the level of engagement because of their life stage, because of their commitment to faith, that, that they're willing to partner in ministry. But there are also those in the community and beyond the community that are supporters, that want to champion what's happening in that space. But because of their life stage or their faith commitment or their circumstances, etc., they, they're not able to have that same level of buy-in. But I think what, what you've highlighted is really important is about aligning expectations in that space. So sit down with the planter or the planting team and, and spend some time asking that question. So what does it look like to be involved in this church plant? Uh, what are the different roles? How can I be involved or how can I not be involved? Like, be honest with your circumstances. This is where I'm at. One of the other things for me that was really key, and I think this rings true from my experience, was that planting's a really good way to stay relevant to the community and the culture in which your your church plant exists. Again, going back to that, you know, need to be flexible to change. Even once we had planted, our experience was that, as you were saying before, Jamie, like we we'd sort of had three different rhythms in the first three years of, of um, our plant's existence. And that was about trying to, well, not trying to, it was about, I think, particularly you as the pastor, having the time to reflect on the community in which we exist and the dynamics of it and how then to best sort of um, structure the gathering around that, not just the gathering, but all the stuff during the week as well around that. Um, whereas I think big established churches, I don't want to paint this in a negative way, but I think it's harder for them to pivot given that they've got a culture that's been in place for so long. And even though maybe the community around them changes significantly because of whatever circumstance, it's a lot more difficult for them to to make that change as fast. That's such a good point. And I think you're right in that, um, especially early on, those iterations allow you to stay in touch with the community. Um, but at some point, change does get exhausting. And I can remember having conversations early on uh, in that kind of third iteration of H3O uh, with people in the team. And they're like, oh, we just need a break. Hey, we just need to get into some regular rhythm for this next season. We're all having kids. What does that look like? And so we went into this season of um, of being consistent, which I think was really helpful for me to hear that feedback and to respond to that. Uh, and so how do you then build in regular rhythms of ongoing reflection and iteration while managing uh, the fact that change is exhausting? I think that that's just something that we need to name and, and be aware of. One of the things that we built into our constitution as well was this idea of um, dissolving the membership every two years and recommitting ourselves to the vision and the mission that God has called us to, which meant that there was a period of um, reflection uh, as to who we are in our broader neighborhood and the programs that we're running. Um, and then a sense of, okay, well, let's, let's step into this for that next phase of ministry and life together. I think just on a similar point, um, I think 
the way that we were able to kind of create these rhythms and and create a, a in some ways inverted commas new way of doing church was that we spent the the sort of planning year unlearning and relearning kind of every component of church which was such an amazing journey that most of that core team will still reflect on that it was so significant to kind of I guess when I imagined church planting I was imagining that we were taking the church that we were going from and we were going to plonk it in a new context and and see hundreds and then thousands of people come to faith Um, (laughs) unfortunately that was sort of optimistic but also it was naive and it's kind of what Andrew said about don't take your existing church and your existing experiences and plonk them in a new place because you'll you'll bring all the good stuff which is great but you'll also bring all the bad stuff and all the stuff that isn't relevant and all the stuff that's outdated and all the stuff that isn't contextual to the new place and so for us we did rethink so much about church and and there were little things which were big things in the sense something like the time that we met so we looked at our context we looked at the the kind of area that we were planting into and we decided that Sunday morning was not the time that was going to be a really good contextual kind of fit for our area and so we met in the afternoon and we looked at where we were meeting which at the time was a surf club and looked at kind of how that felt and therefore we didn't wear collars and lovely dresses and fancy shoes to church we literally rocked up from the beach I'm pretty sure Steve you once um, were emceeing in a singlet with your surfboard um, kind of lent in the corner yes yeah Yeah. and I I think that was significant for me because I looked at that and I was like that would never fly in the church that I just came from. But here, yeah, singlets, sandy feet and a surfboard in the corner. Sounds okay. And yet that made, I can remember all these young guys that would go surfing in particular in winter because it was so cold. We had the coffee machine going. They'd rock up in their wetsuits still dripping into the surf club while we would make them hot chocolates and things like that. And if they were walking into a situation where people were all dressed up and uh, looked foreign to that context, it would have created a barrier. But even just that subtle thing alone uh, created a place of welcome and home. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think in in that process, so I think the unlearning and relearning that we did was wonderful and then we created some rhythms and structures and even just culture things like what you wore or, or how it felt to be part of the gathering. But I do think that um, something that Andrew encouraged us to do and and sort of Benjamin were reflecting on was this idea of revisiting some of those things and and sort of building in rhythms where you re-ask questions. Are we doing the right thing? Are we still reaching this area? Is this, you know, still the right kind of pursuit and look and feel for our church? And I think for me that's a really hard process because – there's something exhausting about church planting and relearning and unlearning and rethinking. That process is really tiring and you get to this point and you feel like you've arrived and you feel like you've done it and you feel like you've landed and you're like, we're there. And then someone like Jamie Freeman will say, we should just rethink all of this and we should throw all the pieces back in the air. And as a core team member, I was probably one of those people that were like, oh, please, no, can we not like – and I, but I do think it is important, but it's a difficult process to do that. I think you've raised a, a, a good point in that as the lead planter, my head was in that all the time. And so uh, for the rest of the church, um, 
the staff team, their head was in it the whole time as well. But for, for the rest of the church, they weren't consumed with thinking about this stuff. And so, again, it's, as we just talked about earlier, it's about finding that, that healthy balance between the two, I think, uh, from my experience. Is there anything else that stood out to you guys? Um, I think the other big uh, piece was Andrew's um, comments around that what people do in their ordinary everyday lives um, makes extraordinary differences. But I think that's that was something that I was thinking through that, you know, often we think about ministry and our faith really probably most closely linked to Sunday or, or whenever our gathering as a community is. Um but like the, some of the points he made, it really is about, it's, and it's probably such a cliche, but it's all the little things. Like it's the small interactions, like, you know, at your local Woolies, you, you see those guys every time when you go in there and are you making an effort to have a chat with them and actually build a relationship when you're at the checkout or are you on your phone ignoring them and and that sort of stuff. You know, it's it's those little things, not the big extravagant grand gestures that witness to our faith and that i think that it's always good to be reminded of that because i feel like it is often the 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 link to the the gathering and and big things that we do as a community that prove that we're we're christians and we're good people and we have a good faith and we're trying to do good things and it's like actually it's just be a good person in the little things and (laughs) that's going to have much more of an impact Ains, that's where you're going to impact 100,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> One police worker that. at a time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably the other thing that stood out to me. What do you think is helpful in order to create an environment where that is prioritised? I think some of the stuff that Andrew was talking about, so so ministers um, getting out to people's workplaces. I know you did that with a lot of the community. Um, and, and for me personally, I know that was helpful because it's about having those sorts of conversations in your work context and realising that this is a place where ministry can happen. Um, and it's it's hard because obviously you go to work thinking, I've got a job to do, and often faith and work in a um, secular setting don't mix and, and can sometimes even get you in trouble if you do the wrong thing. So... Um, but, it, but it, like to at least start those those conversations and that thinking is really important, I think. Um, and I really liked what he said about, um, you know, having people bring their tools of trade to the gathering and offering them up as a, you know, a, a sacrifice, a sacrificial thing of worship and praying over it and then all going out together with that. I think that's like it's helping people understand that we need to honour the work we do and we need to see that it is important from a ministry perspective. That's so good. One of the things that I found really helpful was that we actually had quite a diverse preaching team. So both of you were on our preaching team. And so when you would open up the word, you would open up the word through the lens of uh, your workplace and your personal circumstances. And that would shape our community in a way that I couldn't bring um, even though I was working bivocationally, like Steve, you've been in management positions and you work with people, uh, a broad range of people. So you, you, you actually bring a very different perspective uh, that I could bring or other people in the team could bring. And one of the other things that uh, we did that I thought was really helpful for a period there was we had this 
uh, moment called Apostello, which we would finish each of our gatherings with. And uh, while the word is confusing, uh, but it comes from uh, Jesus's prayer around being sent ones. Um, and But we would just get up someone from our community each Sunday as a way of finishing the gathering to hear what type of week they were going into, uh, what was on their mind, where God had placed them, and uh, how we could pray for them on behalf of and representing the fact that we were all sent ones into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our families, into the broader community. And What does it look like to go into those places with a sense of being filled up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be people of hope and life and light. So little things like that where I, I, I really loved Andrew's picture of bringing in those tools and what are the ways that we can incorporate into our rhythms, into our liturgies that help people um, see the value in what they do really makes a difference. I think on that as well, I think it's really important that churches are careful with what they put in as competition to that as well in terms of um, if we're going to honour people and the work that they do and we're going to uphold, like, oh, my goodness, what Andrew said about the role of parenting <laughs> was terrifying and also a wonderful reminder about what you're actually doing in the role of a parent. So if we're going to say your work is important, your family life is important, the way you raise your kids is important, the way you interact with your next-door neighbours and the person at Woolies is important – then we need to be really careful about what we put in competition to that. So midweek prayer nights and midweek worship nights and Friday night this and Saturday morning that and Sunday afternoon this. And I think some of it is necessary, but a lot of it is is really putting up difficult, challenging decisions for people who work really hard, who are really busy, who are really stretched and stressed and I think that as a church, um, we need to support and champion and um, come alongside these workers, family members, not make their life more difficult by guilt-tripping them <laughs> into being at all these other things. And I think, you know, one of our values or plumb lines used to be people over programs and we were so cautious about the programs and the things that we expected people to be at other than the kind of hour on a Sunday. Um, and I, I think different horses for different courses, that's just what we did. But um, I do think that church people, paid Christians, people who work in churches need to get a really good understanding of what it feels like to work 40 to 50 hours a week and be home for kids, dinner, bath and bed, and stand on the sidelines of soccer on a Saturday morning and do nippers on a Sunday morning and then be involved in church. I think sort of if we work in the land of churches, if we're the paid pastor in a church, we need to get a really good understanding of what that feels like before we start throwing in extra programs and extra meetings and extra things to be a part of because it's, it's really hard. Yeah, Ains, to, just to add to that, I remember like at the start, you and Sam, you know, I think you guys played soccer or netball. Netball. But it's about like, yeah, like just in addition to that, it's about finding like what are the programs that already exist within the community that people are passionate about and do on a weekly basis. And as you said, not bringing in competition to those, but encouraging people to see that as part of their ministry as well. Like I know, Jamie, you're part of a soccer team with a bunch of guys from various churches and 
the way you guys are on the soccer pitch obviously is going to be a witness to those guys that you're competing against. And it's it's about, yeah, I think pastors understanding that there's real value in that, in encouraging people in their passions and where you can bring a few people together who have the same passion and let them join the same team or, or whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be sport. It could be something else. Yeah, that's really helpful perspective, guys. As someone who uh, works in a ministry context, it is uh, often hard to wrap my head around that. So I really appreciate hearing that. Uh, but also acknowledging that um, that different life stages bring about different challenges. Uh, I can remember when uh, we had a church of young adults, they were actually really craving gathering together. Uh, when you have young families, there's there's certain challenges around that, as you highlighted, Ains. It's often when people's careers are getting busy and they're being stretched across many different sporting things. But then once you hit retirement age, again, there's different uh, challenges. We we certainly experience like the, the traveling aspect of the gray nomads where they disappear during the cold winter months and then they would re-emerge during summer. And so the rhythm and expectations around gathering changes again. And and I think part of it is just being aware of people's life stages and shifting our expectation that if you're not here at a Wednesday night prayer meeting, we think it's important to gather, gather together as the people of God to pray. But if you're not here, you're not a bad Christian. There's certain things that are going on in your life at this point in time. And so part of it's around managing expectations and the culture that we create around that. One of the other things that I loved uh, that Andrew brought up was the loving, honest rat bag. And, uh, and I think it's so important as leaders to have um, people in our church leadership teams and in our com- broader communities that, that challenge us, that might raise certain things that we're, uh, we haven't thought of or might be a particular blind spot to us. And, and I know as, as a pastor, I really benefited from that. And I often tell people now that I'm a better pastor because of this person or I'm a better pastor because of that person because of the way in which they, they challenged me or they rebuked me or they um, pointed out a blind spot in my, in my life. So while it is um, sometimes difficult and awkward to navigate that space, having loving, honest rat bags is really important part of the planting process, I think. Um, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Baptist Care, a leading non-profit Christian organisation serving the aged and people living with disadvantage for over 75 years. Did you know that as well as providing residential aged care, Baptist Care's Hope Street sites create safe spaces for disadvantaged and distressed individuals facing issues such as domestic violence, homelessness, mental health, or addiction issues. If you want to make a difference in your community, then volunteering with Baptist Care is a great way to do that. You can join the team as a pastoral care volunteer, or help serve at a Hope Street site, or visit residents in aged care homes. On Forman Church, we're always talking about ways the church can connect with the neighbourhood. And volunteering with Baptist Care is a fantastic way to do that. To get involved or find out more, visit baptistcare.org.au. Guys, if you were to ask Andrew a follow-up question, was there anything that kind of springs to mind or areas that you might want to push further into? I think um, I, I loved what he was saying about sort of honouring people and their work and what they do during the week as really important kind of kingdom work. But I guess my follow-up question would be that if all work and any work is kind of part of bringing God's shalom, 
what does it actually mean to step out of that work and into the call of ministry? So how do we sort of honour the, the call into ministry for some, but not for everyone? It's good. Steve, how about you? Um, I don't have a question so much, but I would I would love to sort of pick his brain and go a bit more into that integrative whole life view that he spoke about. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting topic to explore a bit further. Yeah, I agree. So if you were to think about um, your planting again or maybe rewinding 11 years and you were to suggest a next step for someone who is considering joining a church plant, uh, what what would be a good next step or what would be a piece of advice that you would give them? I, I think um, Andrew's journey around um, working out the core fundamental um, things about your faith and, and what are the deal breakers, but being really kind of tight with those and probably, as he sort of said, like sitting down with the person who's actually planting the church and having really good conversations and going, can I follow this person? Can I, can I live with the things that this person will do that I may disagree with? Um, and, and also I think being really ready to disagree well but then once the decision's made in a true Baptist sense, we made the decision and we are going to live with it and we are going to own the fact that this is the direction we're going in. And so working towards unity. So be a loving, honest rat bag if that's your role in the core team. Ask good questions. Challenge the, the decisions that are being made. But once the decision's made, go with it. Own it. Be part of it. Don't, don't sort of talk around the back streets about what you would have done differently or how you don't like that you've got to own it you've got to be you've got to be okay with it that's so good and I think that was our experience wasn't it like people would raise those things but there was a real shared sense of okay well we've made this decision let's let's progress in this area yeah Steve how about you um i think one thing would be um really spend some time trying to understand what your giftings are and what you're going to bring to the team and as i said have those um open honest conversations um not only with the the person who's the lead plant but also the, the rest of the team and just really make sure that you're going to be um comfortable to you know share those giftings with the group because they are important and, and as andrew said no matter what those giftings are there's a need for them um, so, so yeah, get involved. I think the other thing I was reflecting on is like my experience of church plan is going to be potentially very different to a lot of other people's in that I went with a group of 11. Or nine, I think it was. But nine, yeah. and of which I knew eight intimately. <laughs> um, so the, I, I think that's possibly quite a, I don't know, I, you know a lot more than me about this, but I feel like that's possibly a really rare church planning experience of like, best friends, um, best friend's sister and husband, best friend's parents. Like there was this community that we were already a part of um, in a sense. And so um, when I when you asked this question, I was like, oh, God, like what advice? I don't really know if my advice is the right advice because it's. I feel like it's such a unique experience. I think your advice in that is get a broader core team. Go <laughs> yeah. on your family, mate. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. No, that's that's great advice, uh, and I appreciate that. And uh, Ains, you guys, you're part of Olive Tree Media, and um, 
as a, an association and more broadly, we've partnered with you in a bunch of different campaigns and resources that you guys uh, put out there in order to equip and support our churches. I wondered if you wanted to share a bit about uh, the current project that you guys are working on. Yeah, so um, at Olive Tree Media, we make um, media and resources that um, are really designed to serve churches, particularly in the area of mission and evangelism. So we make documentaries and these documentaries can be used in a church setting or in a small group setting or inspire a series that really challenge people in the area of mission and evangelism. And our latest series that we're currently filming is called Faith Runs Deep. And it's a it's an Australian-based um, documentary about unearthing stories of faith in our nation from history and today. So we're travelling around Australia, meeting incredible Australians and hearing about their faith stories and hearing about how they've shaped our country or their community or um, done wonderful things in the name of Jesus. And we're hoping to get um, people to partner with us, to follow along with the journey. And um, and then when the series is released, we want to see people take that, be inspired by that and really kind of be um, wonderful, incredible, inspiring Christians themselves that become part of the next story of faith running deep in Australia. And so, yeah, we're hoping to kind of get people on board to be ready. And and when it's released, we want to see kind of the name of Jesus be continued to, to go forward in Australia in different areas. And how can people connect with that? So if they go to faithrunsdeep.com.au and um, there's a sign-up form or a trailer that they can watch and just get more information. We've also got a Facebook group called Faith Runs Deep Partners and that's where we sort of send some of our behind-the-scenes footage, exclusive content. (laughs) Thank you for that. Guys, thank you so much for the conversation today and um, also thank you so much for being my people over the last 11 years or even more than that actually for both of you. But it's it's been an amazing journey to see uh, how God can use a ragtag group of people uh, to start a new church and to see his name lifted up and uh, to sow seeds of hope and life. And you've both been key to that journey. And uh, I appreciate just being able to share some of that together today in this situation. Also, thank you for listening and um, you can join the conversation via our Facebook group or our Instagram handle. So we'd encourage you to join the conversation and add your bits on there. Thanks.